Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. We'll start just by reading Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, I know that we preached exegetically over this. I didn't uh, think that we just needed to do it all over again, but we'll need to pull from this a little bit for where we're going and what we want to talk about in our time. Uh, this morning. So Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak and a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Father, we pray that you do your work uh, in us. We confess in a transitional time after holidays and uh, probably with a myriad of plans, uh, even tonight, there's just a lot going in our heads and our hearts. So Lord, would you come and draw near to your people? Us who are here and uh, the brothers and sisters who are still traveling, God, do your work. Lord, I pray that you begin to uh, show us your dreams and your vision and what you want for your people. May we glorify you and see you made much of in our hearts and in the city. We pray that in your name. Amen. So I am a bit of a junkie for war movies of bygone eras. Um, on the Mount Rushmore of this genre of movie stands the classic Braveheart, which interestingly enough, when I Googled that this week, I found out that that was almost 30 years old and that hit me somewhere deep and it hurt a little bit. It was like, surely the movie's like 12 years old. No, 30. Ah, I'm old. Oh no. But um, in that movie, there's a main character named... William Wallace, and he's the protagonist, the good guy, played by Mel Gibson, and he begins in the movie as just a simple farmer, living a peaceful life while doing farmer things until his wife is tragically killed by invading English soldiers, and that sets into motion a set of events that turn him out of being a farmer and into an icon and a war hero. So you got to follow this to understand a little bit of what we want to pull from it. Wallace goes from a commoner kind of a good old boy doing things in the sticks, farming the land into a warrior, voice of the oppressed, one who must pick up a sword and fight, right? In times of peace, he worked the land and he put his hands to things like the plow and he cut down trees and he pulled up weeds. But then in times of of war, things changed. Out of necessity, he had to pivot and he had to put his hand to the sword instead of the plow. And then he had to, to cut down evil men and hold the lines and protect what was his. He couldn't live peacefully or only deal with the soil and only do planting farmer things in the middle of a season of war. He had to instead pivot and live defensively out of his comfort zone, out of the norm, maybe out of his wiring and out of his preference. This idea is what I want to hold to a little bit as we talk today, living outside the norm, living in a season of uh, war or a season of defense is what I want to grab a hold of and begin to kind of process as we talk about our future and maybe what's coming over the horizon for us. Uh, again, like I said before, we've used the last couple of years to, to have our last week focus on 
uh, vision and what's going to happen, where we've come and where we're going. It's a natural progression this time of year to do this sort of thing. Uh, I know that I'm a bit angsty when it comes to to New Year's resolutions, but maybe it would be unwise to not take this moment and, and just ask the Lord, hey, where have you brought us and where do you want us to go. So that's what we'll do. We'll look at this uh, week as kind of a family table type sermon or talk. If you're new or newer to us, hey, welcome to the table. Uh, we normally do exegetical preaching. We'll be back into Ecclesiastes next week for two more weeks. And then we've got a gauntlet of learning at the feet of Jesus through Luke. But this week is a, a very different week as we just begin to talk about our history and where we're going. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, this isn't our norm, but we're assessing the work that we're in and hopefully beginning to press together as a family into, here's a word I want to hold on to, into, onto anticipation over what may be coming for the next seasons for us. Uh, we want to have hope that the, the Lord is going to start stirring fresh dreams and fresh vision in us, that the tiredness of war and defense seasons that we have been through, and we've been through some, may give way to seasons of, of fruit and hope and ministry and mission, uh, and really seeing salvation and fresh things and fresh fruit come. So we want to together begin to ask, hey, can we transition out of one season and transition into a new one uh, together? I don't do it often, but in line with a, a guy that several of you have met, my buddy Corey Johnston at, at Heights Church, we, we take a group to a marriage conference uh, over towards St. Louis at his church uh, quite often. There's one coming up, actually, but this is kind of his MO. He loves to give big ideas. They're not normally my, my thing, but I'll, I'll steal a play from his playbook, and, and I'll do that. Here's our, maybe our big idea that I want to hold on to in our time together. Friends, what if it's time to see that maybe wartime is coming to an end. What would that mean if wartime is coming to the end? What would that look like in spite of the ways uh, that, that, that things have unfolded over the last three years, in spite of the difficulty that we've had over the last three years, in spite of a culture that is largely against the tenets of, of our faith and Christianity, in spite of the mass exodus out of the pews in the West, in spite of multitudes of multitudes of people deconstructing and, and tweeting live about it, and in spite of really the hard, painful moments that we've walked to, through together as a church, what if the Lord has set all of that into motion saying, hey, that's not wasted, I have something else great coming now, uh, to build my church in unthinkable circumstances, to, to save the lost, to, de to deploy into fresh mission and see gospel work. I think that would be like right down God's lane to go, hey, hey, check this out. I'm going to shock the world by doing what they thought was impossible in a time that they thought it would be impossible to do. If you look around, like I, I'm not foolish, I see it. All around the world, we're hearing whispers everywhere. Is the church dying? Is it gone? Is it a road to nowhere? Did it live out its time and it's over? In the middle of that time, when the culture is warring against the tenets of our faith, wouldn't that be in God's fashion to go, hey, watch what I'll do. Watch what I will do in these people in a time when you said it is impossible. What if it's going to be time to maybe put down the sword, so to speak, metaphorically, and see something new? What if wartime is coming to an end and we need to dream together about what's next? There's a critical need. Why do we pull from, a fee, or from Ecclesiastes 3 uh, to be aware of the season that we're in, to not be foolish or misguided or miss the, the season that we're in so that we can make sure that our efforts and our hearts and our minds line up in the actual season that we're in at the time. This is, again, why Ecclesiastes 3 was read. In life, there's a lot of different seasons that come 
our way. Though we're not the sovereign Lord and we don't get to pick what season we're in and when, we'd love to go, hey, I would like that season at this point of time. And we don't get to do that, but we still need to live inside the season that the Lord has brought us to. We can't be living in a wrong season, meaning we can't decide, hey, this is my time to speak when it's actually our time to be quiet. And we can't decide to, to harvest and pluck up when it's actually a time to plant. And we can't decide, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run and do a ton when the Lord has said, no, this is actually a time for you to heal and rest. And again, we can't be in war when it's actually a time of peace. Ecclesiastes and the writer is beckoning us to accept the reality that God has a plan and that he makes all things beautiful in his own timing and on his schedule. But here is the the risk and the rub that I want to point out in light of our history. Again, if we're at the family table talking about where we've come, there's a risk for the heart to check out in certain things. Right? If a season has been hard for a while, there is an ability for us to disconnect and to compartmentalize our lives where we stop hoping and stop dreaming and stop believing and we miss the amazing things that the Lord has because we can't shift out of one season and into another. So I want us to be kind of mindful of that and again ask the question, what if wartime is coming to an end and what will that mean? I'll back up and talk a little bit about our history. It'll touch into the history of uh, the the church in the West, but a lot of it's going to be personal to us. And if we're going to talk about our history and where we've come and what's happened, there's no way that we can do that without at least referencing the emotional and mental state of the country in which we uh, live. There was a heck of a one-two that we got, right? It was called Trump versus Hillary followed by Trump versus Biden. I'm not about to preach about a way to vote. I'm just recognizing that did some stuff, right? It changed the way that we relate to each other. And then that was paired with other things like warring over social justice and Black Lives Matter and the racial divide and what is critical race theory. All of those happened at once and they've kind of turned our culture into one that's been about as divided as it has been in at least our generation's time. Pair that with the reality of a laundry list of religious influencers or popular figures who fell one after another, after another, after another. And churches that were caught up in scandal and battles and charged cover-ups, not only was the country in an emotional rough state because of all the warring, there was also a a distrust over the church in general uh, as an institution in the culture that we live This doesn't even take into consideration the writing on the wall that we were about to start going to the woodshed and fighting more ferociously than we ever had about sex, sexuality, gender, can genders change, what is truth, is there absolute truth? At that same time, there was going to be a massive amount of accusations of spiritual abuse, a massive amount of people who will exit the church and never come back again. Take all of those realities and push those to the front. And then we got 2020. It's not even taking into effect what happened then. A new mysterious illness called COVID showed up on our news channels. And then it showed up here quite quickly and it locked us down. Are you remembering what we're going through here? It locked us into groups of essential and non-essential, cool and not cool. You can leave and you can't leave. All of this happened and we couldn't gather as a church for months upon months upon months. You just think about that. Yeah, we're moved down to a gym now. There's more setup. There's more tear down. There's a lot of things. We couldn't do this for a really, really long time. No worship together. 
No gathering in person because we're embodied souls. No gathering together as the body. No taking communion together as we remember Christ, the body and the blood. It is what you've done with my brothers and sisters that we remember who we are. We couldn't do any of that. No seeing brothers and sisters in the faith, looking at them in the eyes and breaking bread with them. A contentious culture entrenched in church scandal was paired with isolation on a massive scale. And for the church, you could not receive the benefits of corporate worship. They were off limits to you. We found out quickly in this isolation time where we couldn't be near each other that maybe a line that we heard before wasn't quite true. Absence doesn't actually make the heart grow fonder. And without steady means of grace that we gather around and feed off and have a build and a foundation strengthening through singing and worshiping and taking together, without those things available to us, things got rough quickly and spiritual unhealth grew quickly, not just in us, but in the West, in the world. The COVID era forced us to essentially replant the the church and we did not have that in our plans. It wasn't just us, but many churches who uh, maybe weren't in the several hundred people with their own building and their own thing were forced to replant everything. For us, that meant all of our eldership needed to change. Our worship music had to change. We went from a full band to Garrett played the guitar and didn't know when to take the mask off and on. If you remember some of that stuff that we went through, we had to redo from the top down how we gather on Sunday. Our whole RH Kids ministry was, was relaunched starting over and our MCs, our main vehicle of Discipleship had a massive overhaul. We needed to close some MCs, combine some MCs, retool some MCs, and I know some of you were around for that and you remember that well. We had to face some difficult realities as a family and as a church. A whole lot of things were going to need to be worked on. Some out of necessity because culture had changed, and some out of necessity because we just saw, hey, we need to get healthier in some areas. Some of our missional uh, communities were, were more people-centered than gospel-centered, and that came to light. We at times had majored on the family and community part of Christianity and maybe minored on the submitting to King Jesus, and he gets the right to say no part. We also had to face that our leadership structures in our community groups, our missional communities, wasn't working very well. We needed to give more people a chance to lead and use their gifts and and be able to to, to lead the church. And we moved into a shared leadership operation of MCs. And then we had to deploy leadership over the entire church in new ways. More people and more gifts overall were going to need to be used. There was a lot of work to do. A lot needed to be reformatted. A lot needed to be retooled. This is just a part of the story that we walked. When we were allowed to gather again after the COVID lockdown, our church had to face another difficult reality that I don't know that we fully understood was coming. This was not a a phenomenon relegated only to us, but a lot of the people who were with us pre-COVID never came back. Right, people that we'd been with for years, we married them. We saw their first kids born. We were in each other's house all the time. Tonight, we would have been spending together with all of these people in New Year's, especially when we planted the church. None of us had kids. So we're all hanging out. They were people that we were with all the time. And then all of a sudden, we're never going to see them again. Oh, and some of them hated us now. It was not something that we expected. Then in the middle of trying to relaunch and rebuild everything with the fresh pain of people that we love that we were no longer going to see and didn't expect that, we faced another unexpected challenge. Podcast came out and we had to deal with that. Didn't see that one coming. This is a part of our story 
and in our season of what I've called war or defense or difficulty. Right? I don't know if you remember, but our church went down to, and if you're newer, newer, yeah, we have a, a smaller group right now, but um, our church went down to about 50 or 60 people. That's not who showed up on Sunday. That's like, how many people has you got in total? 50 or 60. How many are going to show up on Sunday after COVID? I hope 22, right? We, we, we wound down to a pretty low number. It felt like the ark, again, that was the location that we had planted with similar emotions. And I know some of you felt them with me. Are we going to die? Right? Are we going to make it? We had a lot of questions like, is it all going to come crashing down? And I know those weren't just mine. They were yours as well. And yet in view of all that, massive change, massive rebuild, massive pain. Here's the cool part. God ended up rebuilding his church one step at a time, one area at a time. When there was a lot of worry internally of will we be alive, the Lord kind of took over and rebuilt things. Where am I going with all of this? What's the point of the history lesson? To try and pull it back together. When chaos comes and when painful seasons come and when a time of rebuilding or foundation work takes place, it becomes a lot like a season of, of war. Not that we're fighting everyone, I'm not contending that it was us against the world. Many other people went through similar things. But when you're trying to fight to stay alive or rebuild from the ground up or retool or fix the foundation, you end up in more of a defensive posture than an offensive. Does that make sense? Leaning back, I gotta fix some stuff. I, 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 can't, I can't go do that right now. I gotta, I, I gotta make sure that it doesn't crumble. So we begin to go back and we over the years, went through several things very purposely. We went through Romans to sharpen our theology, to learn again to process hard topics in a world and in a culture that was farming out all of their thinking. We as a church wanted to decide that an open Bible and the Holy Spirit in our community was enough to figure out hard things. You don't have to go to Twitter and somebody else's blog. So we spent a whole year going through one of the hardest books in the Bible going, Lord, teach us to think and process and use our minds. And then we went to Hebrews to learn that Jesus is better, to cause us to have a, a stiffened spine where we'll dig in our heels and, and navigate a world where we know Jesus is better even though it's a negative world. We wanted to learn like Peter that when you suffer and things are hard, we want to have the statement back when somebody asks, are you going to leave? Where else am I going to go? Lord, you are the, you are the way of life. I, I, don't, I don't enjoy the suffering, but where else would I go? And then we've devoted ourselves in the last year to Ecclesiastes to learn that placing hope and finding meaning and joy and contentment and satisfaction in anything under the sun is like chasing the wind. And we spent all of last year focusing on becoming a people of prayer. And that focus of prayer wasn't just in 
word, it became in practice, entrenched even into our liturgy of how we run Sundays. Why do we carve out time at the end of service where maybe you're looking around going, why is it awkward and we're not doing anything? It's for times to pray. Why do we give times to respond? Why do we press open points and go, hey, the only job we have here is to do business with the Lord and ask him what he wants and to let him do his work is because we wanted to be a people of prayer who didn't just use uh, uh, prayer as a Hail Mary that we throw when life is hard. And we didn't want prayer just to be the transition into being able to eat good food or closing or transitioning to a new part of service. We wanted to be a people who lean into prayer each week so it would permeate who we are. So we focused on those themes alongside with our rebuilding efforts, growing theologically, growing in how we navigate the culture, growing and tethering ourselves to Christ and growing in prayer and becoming a people of prayer, all while seeing some pretty massive steps forward in the change of how our church foundationally was set up. What all was changed over those last three years? Our entire leadership structure. We have three elders and one in process right now. Clayton walking far along in the eldership process. We have four different gifted leaders leading over the church in worship and music. We have a healthier MC structure than we ever have. We have a more balanced view of what, how you handle community and accountability. We have a smoother running kids class than ever before. We have our steps classes and redemption groups that many of you are growing in right now. And what we have, even though you you can't see the evidence of it now because a lot of our family is still gone, we have for the first time a healthy 100 in our history. It's just members and members' families and members' households. I I think we're at 109. So our family's gone right now. We've never had a healthy 100. That's never, we've, we've been over 100 multiple times. We've never had a healthy one with an actual structure underneath of it. What did we learn? Though we tackled Nehemiah over rebuilding a long time ago, here's the thing. Rebuilding was gonna take a whole lot longer than one exegetical series. It was gonna take more than just a couple of months. And now I kind of present the question back again, what if? What if it's time to step out of defense and war mentality and begin to dream again? Lord, what would you wanna do with us? What would you have for our next 10 years, for our next couple years? What would you want to to do. And I'm not trying to push the idea that we made a couple foundational changes and now we're perfect. If I'm your pastor, we, are, we got a whole lot of stuff that needs to be done. But we needed to work on the house pretty hard for a while. And though we needed to do that, though we had to kind of mature and fix some foundational Ill issues and build up some things, that doesn't mean that we need to stay in that season for all of our life. That's what I'm contending for. At some point, we have to recapture mission more fully. Here's the thing. And if you're ever healthy or the spirit's ever working, that is never a road to nowhere. It's always a road to mission. You cannot be healthy and not recapture mission. It won't work. So here's the question that I'd ask you to maybe ponder with me today. Why would the Lord rebuild us and not just let it die? Why, why, why would he do that? Well, yes, I think it's because the Lord loves his bride. Absolutely, and yes, I think it is because he's a good father who loves us, but as the bride of of Christ, we are meant to be salt and light. We're meant to be the sons and daughters who go into the darkness with the light and the message of Christ, hoping that the darkness would be pushed back and some would come to know Christ through it. Well, I don't think that we altogether abandon mission and evangelism uh, wholesale by any means. I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily true. I do think to say, it's safe to say that in war, we had to focus on staying alive for a while 
We devoted ourselves to maybe the remodel and the retooling of things. We operated outside of our normal calling or pattern for a while, and now I think it's probably time to transition out of a time of war and into something else. Or at least war from the standpoint of the rebuilding. We need to go out of the war in defense of a rebuild and into the war against the gates of hell, going, Lord, will you save again? Lord, would you reach into our neighborhoods and our jobs and the places that we play? And and we plead with the Lord, will you give life to the seeds that we plant? I had a youth pastor friend who he'd always joke around. He'd always have kids that would come and, and say, pastor, pastor, will you pray that I'll do good on my test? And his retort was always this, I'll pray that you remember what you studied. No, 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 pray that I get an A. I'll remember that you, I'll pray that you remember what you studied. Similarly, uh, I want to begin to pray, God, will you give life to the seeds that we plant? Not will you just bring people to salvation where we did nothing. Will you bring life to the seeds that we plant? Will you save the, the lost? Will you bring those who are far off near? 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 20, scripture that we have read many times in our years together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God has reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Friends, hear this, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What I love about that text is it balances perfectly life in Christ with the mission of Christ. It holds those two in tension in Christ. If you put your faith in Christ for the problem of your sin, you have asked God, will you save me? And you confess Jesus as your Lord. You've committed your life. I'm going to follow you, King Jesus, to the best of my ability. You've put away the old you, the the sin-chasing part of you, and you walk in this new identity as a son or daughter of God. This is what is true. You aren't who you used to be anymore. But here's what is also true. The new you comes with a new job. And it's not that your new job pays off the, the free grace that you got, It's that the new identity as a believer and follower of Christ simultaneously comes with the role and the desire to see other people have the same thing that happened to you happen to them. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, we become ambassadors of reconciliation. Here are these things that go together. The the tension that we have to kind of live in is these three areas need to go through together. We're serious about living reconciled lives to God personally. This is a part of this reconciliation. We're serious about living reconciled lives to each other as the church. This is the one another parts of the Bible. And then we also become serious about seeing those who don't yet know Christ be reconciled to him through sharing the gospel and planting seeds. I'm reconciled to God myself. We're reconciled to God together as the church. And we want to see those who are not reconciled to God come in and be reconciled to him as well. All three of those parts have to be a part of it. Here's what I hope that our hearts are awakened to joyously and in a fresh way. Yes, I had to talk about some hard parts of our story. Yes, they got me in the feels. Yes, I still believe there's joy at the end of this though. God has entrusted the, me- the message of reconciliation, the gospel to us. He hasn't entrusted it just to the influencers or 
the politicians or the rich or the educated or the loud or the proud or the gifted or the extroverts or the perfect. He's entrusted it to you and he's entrusted it to to me. If you and I are a follower of Christ, he's entrusted us to this. Paul says God has planned to make his appeal through the lost, through those who are once dead themselves. See, here's the interesting part of the gospel that, that is the beautiful part as well. God uses what was broken and unusable to see the lost come to know him. You used them? Yeah, watch me work. Look what I will do. I will do what you thought impossible through the people that you thought impossible to do it with. Watch me work. Though we had some work to do internally for a while and some pain to go through, the hope is that we'll see with fresh eyes together that God still wants to save many who are lost through us as the body. Just let that sit on you. Do you believe that? The Lord wants to save through this ragtag group of people through us sharing the gospel with the people around us, through the seed of Christ being planted around and with others. I'm beyond grateful for the work that the Lord did. I'm not fully there yet that I'm like, I loved everything that happened over the last three years. There's some things I don't love. I I love what he did though. And I'm grateful that he has rebuilt us and I'm hopeful that he'll keep working on us while also recommissioning us back into the city with a renewed hope that he'll do something great. And the story of uh, his church through one local group of people would grow and more would happen in us and through us because we're faithful to the calling that he's given us. I'm not, again, forecasting, that. hey, I think we're gonna grow 4X. That's not my point. I do think God rebuilt us for a reason, though, and I wanna press us back into why would he do that and what could we see happen? And can we dream again outside of the pain that we were in? Why? Why focus so much on vision and hopes? Many of you know me as more of a cynic than using the word dreamer. Like, why would we do this? In my life, I've seen men and women women shift into a dreamer mode as a coping mechanism to, to ignore reality, to ignore their problems or their weaknesses. I've seen dreaming be a type of escape out of the world, not too dissimilar to the relationship of alcohol to the alcoholic. And that's a sad thing to watch, a blind rejection of reality. Whenever things are hard, a person can just like cocoon into dreamer mode to pretend it's not real. But I've also seen something equally sad and hard to watch that's kind of the polar opposite. When men and women stop dreaming out of a coping mechanism. It's not that they dream to escape reality. It's that they stop dreaming because of what reality has done to them. They've got kicked in the teeth by a season and they don't want any more so they don't dream anymore. Hard seasons and disappointment and rejection or mistakes cause the heart to stop dreaming as a mode of protection going, I can't deal with any more pain or disappointment. So it's easier just not to, not to shoot for anything because if I don't swing, I'm not gonna miss. It's an equally sad thing to see. And then in that, hard seasons become a type of prophetic forecasting over the rest of the life. This is my forever. This is the only reality that I or we will ever know. Back to the reference of Ecclesiastes 3. This would be a person who gets stuck in one season of war and they can't shift out even when the warring is over. They're stuck in the, in the tearing and the weeping and the mourning and the breaking down and the pain and they never shift out even when it's gone. They never shift out into hope and dreaming again and mission This causes them to never believe that God will ever do anything else again, at least not with them. 
So to answer the why, why are we kind of tackling this now, knowing that a lot of our people would be gone, we'd still be in holiday mode and all of that? The hope is that we'll learn together to begin picking up our eyes out of a season of defense. Maybe some of us have given up hope that God will save through us. If we're going to put our theological hat on, we don't save anyone, it's the Savior. But maybe we've stopped believing that our seeds being planted will ever give a harvest of anything good. We don't believe that our sharing the gospel will work anymore. It's broken too many relationships and it's not worked for too long. It may be that has led us to make some other choices where we've gave up on things like parents and siblings or children or friends or neighbors or coworkers coming to Christ. Again, maybe we've stopped believing that the seed that we have will ever grow, that it can be planted and that God will, will, will produce new life out of it. We'll say theological things like God's hand is never too short to save. He's just never going to use me to do it. Maybe the season of war or defense has caused the enemy to whisper into your heart the great lie that God has done working through and in you, and that nothing more will ever happen. See, my hope is if that has happened, and I'll try and level the playing field. Maybe I've misread the whole thing, but... I think the temptation is for all of us to feel that at some point. And if that has happened for the the snake crusher, the savior king, the Lord and savior to begin to break that down. Why? So we may begin to hope and dream that Christ may do something new. We begin to dream of people being saved. As we weep, as men and women confess Jesus, or we lose our minds through someone that everyone else thought was unreachable, God saves them and they get in water and they confess and profess Jesus as their new king. And we're like, what? Like we, uh, I want to begin to dream that that'll happen again. I know in the opening I talked about William Wallace, and if you're a smart aleck, and some of you are, you may point out, well, Wallace died a terrible death. He never shifted out and got back to farming. Every metaphor breaks down at some point. What I do want us to see is that maybe the Spirit of God would gently say, hey, that's not the future I have for you, though. That we would maybe successfully acclimate out of one season and back into the mission of God more fully once again as his people. If you ask, okay, how do we do that? Because we have to bring some of this out of the the ethereal and into the actual. How do I get handles for that? How do I pick that up? What do we do? Again, why do you think we worked on becoming a people of prayer all of last year? I think it begins with even in our time today that we pray and ask the Lord, there'll be a time of response. We'll just sit back and all you have is a time to pray. Yeah, you can think of your plans later. That might be a waste of time though. What if we go to the Lord and just ask him simply, hey, what do you want from me? in a way that actually expects him to start leading you towards something. What might you want to do? What do you want from me? Who who might you want me to share the truth of the gospel with? And and I'm not going to say over 2024. You don't need that long of a runway. Who would you want me to share with over the next month? Lord, would you give me fresh margin and vigor and hope for the lost? Because I think the last seasons have kind of taken that from me. Lord, would you give me a fresh confidence that you can save? Because I believe that you save. I just don't believe that you actually will here. Like David, may we begin to, to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, would you give me a new heart that has more faith than mine? And if a renewed call to vision or uh, mission 
low-key causes some like fear and hatred in, in your heart. Like, I don't want to do that. That's also an area in prayer we begin to confess, hey, Lord, I, something shut down where I don't even want to walk down that road. Will you help me? I need a new perspective. I need a new viewpoint. Like, I'm not even at the point, who do I share the gospel with? My heart's going, I ain't doing that. Will you help me? Intangible ways in our MCs. We'll probably need a new, renewed call to talk about and pray about evangelism together. We begin to pray for God moments where we begin to speak to people truth and they would come to life. We begin to pray specifically for, for people to come to faith. And then further, our MCs are going to have to start getting really serious about leaving our comfort zones by making actual plans to multiply. If God were actually to begin to cause us to dream and share and he begins to save, we'll need, we'll need places for them to go. Which means hard choices like our preference. If I like my community, I like this. Yeah, but we're going to have to begin to multiply to make room for people to come and walk with Jesus with us and show them the love of Jesus and the commands of Jesus. Again, much of the starts of the slowing down today and asking, Lord, what would you want to do? I'm here and I want to be used. Will you show me what you want? Would you give me hope? Would you slow down my heart as an act of worship to even ask what you want to do? Would you ask the Holy Spirit maybe what he wants to do? Be willing to shift out of the season that we've been in and walk into a new one. If you've known me for a while, I'm not a like a rah rah guy a lot. Um, but I think what the Lord's beginning to show is like, hey, all of that was for a reason. I'm not done. So our hearts are going to need to either go, yeah, I don't think that's true, or we're going to have to accept it and then begin to live in line with that. Moving out of a posture of defense and into a posture of expectation. Is there room in your heart to move out of an old season into a new that expects something more? Is there room for that? And what we'll do today is we'll gather around the table and we'll take communion as we do that. There is no renewed push towards mission without gospel centrality to know what Christ has done. So we'll come to the table and we'll take in the middle of worship, this is your body and this is your blood broken for me. And I, I would have no seed even to plant. I would have no good news even to give if it wasn't for what you've done. Lord, let me take and let me be renewed in my heart that you are good. Whether I've actually just kind of lost my mind over the last holiday months or I've been distracted or any of that other stuff, Lord, it's only you. Help me see what you've done and Lord, help me take that message to others. We gather and we remember. First Corinthians says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Band, you guys can come back up. But here's the part as we begin to ask the Lord, hey, what would you want? We also come and we, we come and we take the means of grace. We're not saved by this, but we're being reminded that we have been saved. You don't have to be a member to come and take with us at the table. We just ask that your faith be in Jesus. But I pray that you would slow down enough to ask the Lord what he wants. 
and then come to the table and, and worship and encouragement. God, you've done a good thing. Lord, would you begin to put anticipation in our hearts that believes that you want to save more and bring others into your family, Lord. May we begin to hope about it and anticipate it. And Lord, would you send us out? That's the hope that we have. Would you guys stand and pray with me today? Father, I pray that you would do your work in us. I don't know what your plans are, all that you have in store, but Lord, I pray that you begin to give us hope again. For those who are tired and feel defeated and go, hey, that just sounds like another thing, Lord, I pray that you would begin to energize us. May we be fed by the goodness of what you are and what you have done. Lord, we ask for your strength and your encouragement. May we not feed off the well of our own energy and what we can stir in ourselves, Lord. Well, Lord, would you come and nourish our hearts? Lord, I thank you for your, fine, your, your faithfulness and kindness to us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would press us back out, Lord. We wanna see family members and friends and neighbors come to know you, God. We have no metrics. We have no number in mind, Lord. I just wanna see people come to know you, and I think you're pressing us towards that. Stir hope in us about it, God. May we see you rightly. Lord, I pray that the seeds that would be planted would give life and that you would be glorified, King Jesus, that you'd be made much of. We love you. Be glorified today. Amen.